0: Happy Sabbath, everybody. Happy Sabbath. It's good to be here. It's good to see so many of us here. And I pray that you have been blessed so far as we have worshipped together in the beauty of holiness. Our world is diverse as it is difficult. Life seems to conspire, to make us mentally unwell, no one escapes untouched. How is it with you today? What is going on in your head? What are your thoughts about yourself, about your future? What is the state of your imagination, your emotions? This month, we've gained important insights into mental health. And we conclude our series today with a focus on spirituality and mental health. Already, we've learned that mental health can speak to a wide range of themes, including anxiety, depression, suicidal and manic depression, eating disorders, loneliness, emotional or mental or chemical imbalance, drug dependency and addiction, helplessness, hopelessness, personality disorder, and various responses to trauma. There are extremes of mental distress and there are some other considerations. For example, what causes mental illness? Can mental illness be prevented? Can mental illness be healed? Should we only expect relief? Does religion and spirituality prevent or promote mental wellness? Perfect answers to these questions have not yet been found. And so when we talk about mental health, we are taking a risk. On the one hand, we risk being shallow and simplistic On the other hand, we risk being complex and confusing. Either way, we may cause deep hurt to those who are already suffering. But what if we could find the right spiritual tools, the right spiritual skills, and the right spiritual competencies to ensure mental wellness? Will the right Bible verse or hymn or prayer make us mentally well? Does God respond to problems in the present as the Bible says he did in the past? My prayer this morning is that as we share an honest conversation, that the Holy Spirit will reach you and meet you at your point of need. you are likely to have a different story from the stories of the biblical men and women I will share with you. But we can identify with their human experience with God and with each other. May our minds be awakened so that we might be able to love the Lord our God with all our mind, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength and our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray. Precious God, creator of the universe, thank you for being our God. Thank you that you understand the intricate details of our creation. And thank you for being ready to answer our cry. Speak to all our hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The book of Ezekiel records the prophet Ezekiel's prophecies to Jewish exiles in Babylon. These are very dark days for Judah. 29 chapters on God's judgment provide us with panoramic lenses for viewing the psychology of trauma resulting from war and exile in Judah. What is clear in Jerusalem and Judea. Is the overwhelming sense of disruption and powerlessness to people's lives, much like what we see happening in the Ukraine? What if we could find the right spiritual tools that we could reach for at our time of need and ensure our mental wellness? Can you imagine what it's like for a whole community to experience and confess long-term mental distress? A desperate sense of hopelessness would prevail, I imagine. Where do you go mentally, not just physically, but where do you go mentally When an entire community or nation is experiencing disruption and trauma. In Ezekiel 37, Israel is experiencing widespread mental distress. Crying out in deep despair and helplessness. Poor us, look at us. Israel self-diagnoses its condition as completely hopeless. In verse 11, God records them as saying, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. The sense of despair is almost palpable. Exiled in Babylon, Israel has no access to temple and altar services. No chance for corporate spiritual enrichment. Thankfully, Ezekiel serves as pastor and prophetic priest. Maybe God will give him the secret of what that right tool is for the right solution, for the right problem. But for 29 chapters, God gives Ezekiel messages of horror. Judah will be judged because of unfaithfulness to God. Yet they make no favorable response. But before you judge them, Nancy Bowen says that by contemporary definitions, by contemporary definitions, those who experience the siege in Jerusalem, its destructions, and deportation of its citizens experienced trauma and possibly post traumatic stress disorder as a result they had the common reactions mental stress so they they, they change, it changed the way they thought about themselves and about the world they had emotional reactions, depression, sadness, intense and extreme feelings. They had behavioral reactions, withdrawn and isolated. Maybe somebody here is experiencing some of this today. Like us, Israel needs. God's help. And what does God do in response? Does he give Ezekiel the secret tool, the right tool for the right time, reach up on the shelf, apply it, and voila, mental wellness? Is that what God does? In Ezekiel 37, God gives Ezekiel a message for Israel that is as much spiritual as it is mental. Let's read it together on the screen. Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 to 14. "'The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, "'Son of man, can these bones live?' I said, "'Sovereign Lord, you alone know.'" Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. No, I will make breath enter you and you will live. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover your skin. I will put breath in you and you will live. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Did you see the spiritual tool? Did you catch the secret? What tool can we find God giving for promoting mental wellness? God gives Israel a reason to hope. God seizes the opportunity and reminds them of his covenant promises to bless them because of who he is and because of who they are. We need not experience exile to now experience the crescendo of mood and emotions as the sovereign Lord of the universe pours out his heart and his spirit into a people that are hardly deserving. This passage recalls Isaiah 41, where God says, Do not be afraid. I will be with you. I will uphold you. Why would God rehearse Israel's wrong and immediately commit to promised blessings for Israel's healing and resurrection? Why should Jews unfaithful to the covenant expect anything but dry bones? What is the tool? Can we identify that tool for our toolbox that we can reach for and ensure our mental wellness? What we see here is scandalous grace. Israel enjoys scandalous grace because they are loved by God. God rescues them by his right spirit, restores them to their right mind, and redirects them to their right mission. But is that the spiritual tool that we can access to always guarantee mental wellness? We looked at corporate Israel. What would the situation be like for an individual? What would God do? Let's look at the narrative in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Jesus comes on an intentional but unexplained visit to a man experiencing severe mental distress. This man is in the region of Decapolis, the ten towns or ten cities, on the southeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Late the night before, as they journeyed east, he and his disciples to this rough, craggy coastline that is predominantly pagan, there was a violent storm. When Jesus silences that violent storm by just saying a word, his disciples ask in awe, Who is this guy? Jesus comes out of the boat from which he had silenced wild waves and wild winds to meet a wild man coming out from his home in the graveyard just in the hillside by the seashore. Do you see the irony? Who lives in a graveyard? Clearly, This man is alive but not living. Why did he withdraw to this place? The man comes running out to Jesus as if with faint hope that Jesus is the answer to his prayers. He is accompanied by a cacophony of deafening shackles and chains, broken pieces from what ties him down. Naked. Hopeless, helpless, isolated, and self-destructive. The broken man falls before Jesus, still gripping the sharp stone that he uses to cut himself day and night to remind himself that he is still alive. I pray that there is no one hearing my voice today who is cutting himself or herself to remind himself or herself that you are alive. Come out of the man, unclean spirit, Jesus commands. Showing typical signs that devils recognize divinity, the man screams loudly as if to relieve himself but with signs of mental imbalance and confusion. What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, do not torture me. Like a teenager, he masks his cry for help under a front of self-sufficiency. What is your name? Jesus asks. My name is Legion. I don't think that's the name that that man's mama chose for him. But I think that he's been called many names. Many names in the past. Maybe he's been called angry or crazy, or depressed, or divorced, or dumb, foreigner, loser, madman, pagan, poor, sad, stupid, ugly. Maybe you've been called names too. Maybe these voices are still echoing in his head, causing him severe distress. Legion, the man is oppressed by as many unclean spirits as the 6,000-man Roman legion that wrecked the capitalist for the century or so before the time of Jesus. It's no wonder that he is in such distress. Jesus longs to apply his powerful but gentle word and rescue the man from his mental slavery. And the demons sense th- that their time is short. The demons are no match for Jesus. And they know. So they ask permission to go to hog-like Hotel. From out of the one unclean man and into 2,000 unclean pigs, the unclean demons go, but only with Jesus' permission. The legion of demons literally pushed the pigs over the edge of the cliff to their death in the sea below. No doubt, the demons were wreaking havoc, in the man's mind, threatening to push him over the edge or already pushing him over the edge and seeking now to destroy him. Jesus uses the demon's own choice to destroy them and deliver the man. Without waiting to see what happened to the man, the pig feeders bolted to tell everyone they could see. Like wildfire, the news spread from country to town and back. Amazed, everyone comes out to see for themselves what had happened. Coming to Jesus, they see the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. The witnesses tell the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs as well. Going into the boat, Jesus joins the disciples to leave because the people reject him and beg him to leave. The man wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus says to him tenderly, Go home. Show your friends what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Like a new man resurrected from the dead, he goes out happily and begins to do just that. Did you catch the tool? Did we get the tool? What is the tool that we can reach for? What are the skills? What are the competences that we can put in our toolbox and reach for so that when we need them, we can ensure our mental wellness? Did you get the tool? The speed of Jesus' encounter with this man shows how powerful he is to deliver, restore, and redeem. It also shows that people have no time for Jesus, generally. He is disruptive to their lives. They lose control. What is important to them is not important to him. They prefer cattle over community, pigs over the man's peace, and wealth over the man's well-being. The action, the irony, the pace, the intensity of the narrative reflects Jesus at war with some strong evil force that manifests itself in the trauma influencing mental health and wellness. Evidently, mental health can also be a significant spiritual matter and not just a physiological or a psychological matter. Because in the ongoing spiritual war between good and evil, the mind is a major battleground. As one writer says, the last great struggle will be a battle for the minds. The mind controls the whole man. All our actions, good or bad, have their source in the mind. that worships. It is the mind that worships God and allies us to heavenly beings. All the physical organs are servants of the mind. So when Jesus saves the man, what a victory it was for Jesus in this major spiritual battle, in this major spiritual war. What an experience for the man to be healed by the God who rescues you by his right spirit, restores you to your right mind, and redirects you to your right mission. Did we find the tool that God wants us to identify to ensure our mental wellness? Have we found it? If we compare the two situations we looked at, the one in Babylon and the one in the Capolis, we find we were talking about a corporate situation, an individual. Jewish believers and pagans. One where they knew what was wrong or Israel should have known what the problem was, but perhaps the, the man with the demons didn't know. One in the valley versus one by the sea. One in which God breathed his spirit into someone and we want in which God took a spirit from someone. But both sets of people received scandalous grace and both sets of people were resurrected to new life. But is that the tool? Did we find the tool that we can reach for in our time of need and ensure our mental wellness? God's initiative, God took the initiative and rescues hope. God's initiative rescues hope. God's power restores life. God's spirit redirects the heart. But hope is not a tool or a skill or a competence. Hope is a gift God pours into us through the power of the Holy Spirit a gift that will continually overflow and propel us forward. The heart is not a tool or a skill or a competence. Heart is a gift. It's a gift from God that guides us into loving him, loving ourselves, and loving others. God gives a new heart of flesh that is breakable and fillable with love. The stony heart is impenetrable, unbreakable, unfillable, unable to love or be loved. The Holy Spirit is not a tool or a skill or a competence to which living persons can have access in their time of need. The Holy Spirit is a life-giving person. He's not stored and retrieved as needed. The Holy Spirit is life. If you recall in our passage we read in Ezekiel how many times we read the the word breath and spirit and breathe, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Without the spirit there is no life. We are but living dead. So what's the tool? Have we found the tool? There are no scripture texts that guarantee mental wellness. No church service, no prayer, no book. But reading the Bible, building community in worship, staying in conversation with God through prayer, reading books that edify and grow our Christian experience all help to build a deep intimate relationship with God. They do not guarantee mental wellness, but they help us to learn to love God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. We therefore hope in the promises of God and trust him to heal us and to save us in his way and his time. Sometimes there are no straightforward answers to why or when or how. Our hope and confidence in walking forward into the unknown rests in who God is and what he says. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will never leave you. This is a confidence you can have that if you ask anything according to my will, I will hear. These things have I spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What do you expect as a human? Great inheritance? Security? Refuge? Assurance of God's love? Affirmation? No suffering? I'll share with you a quote from Philip Yance's book, Where is God When It Hurts? It should be on the screen so we can read it to, so you can follow me as I read. The Bible consistently changes the questions we bring to the problem of pain. It rarely or ambiguously answers the backward-looking question why. Instead, it raises the very different forward-looking question to what end? We are not put on earth merely to satisfy our desires to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. We are here to be changed, to be made more like God in order to prepare us for a lifetime with him. And that process may be served by the mysterious pattern of all creation. Pleasure sometimes emerges against a backdrop of pain evil may be transformed into good and suffering may produce something of value. So if you're still waiting for Jesus' boat to come to your shore, don't give up. If you find yourself having a sense of being overwhelmed by trauma and a sense and mental distress, hardly able to count it all joy or asking where is the grace that is sufficient or where is the Lord who is to be near to the brokenhearted or feeling like very, very dry bones as if all your hope is gone, if that is you, don't give up. Despite what others may say, we cannot emancipate ourselves from mental slavery. God alone can give us victory. Hope in God. He will come through for you, I promise. You can rest assured that He knows your name. I suspect that some of you are already planning to stop. You you want to stop trying. The mental roller coaster is more erratic than six flags and it is getting a bit difficult to ride. You are emotionally and psychologically paralyzed. I understand how you feel. I understand that you want to give up. Maybe it's not just your health. Maybe you lost someone during COVID and it's just difficult. Maybe you're lonely or struggling, or you just don't have the energy to try anymore. I understand it's difficult. But let me ask you this. Who do you think you are? What right do you have to give up? What gives you the right to decide that it's much too hard for you to try harder and you're much too weak to stand stronger? Nothing and no one gives you that right to give up. That's why I know you've tried. I know you don't want to give up. But willpower wanes and resolutions sometimes don't last. But what right do you have to give up on yourself when Jesus didn't give up on you? Jesus comes as the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to Israel and to us. Not long after his visit with that man in the cave, Jesus ends up naked, isolated, outside the town among the tombs, shouting unintelligible things as he's torn apart on the cross. He endured the cross so that he could rescue people like you and me from all over the world, from all sorts of demons. If you are silently suffering under the weight of mental confusion, may you receive today God's gift of hope to propel you forward. The story of the demoniac and the people in Israel, in Babylon, their promises that no form of evil can endure forever. The healing, calming, restoring word of the gospel will ultimately subdue forces of chaos, frenzy, illness, and even death. Can you hear the echoes of the joyful sound? Jesus saves! Jesus saves! The one who has power to calm the angry sea has power to retrain your brain if that's what he needs to do. Jesus is somebody we can trust with every aspect of our lives. He knows how you feel. Do you feel misunderstood? So was he. Betrayed? So was he. Heartbroken? So was he. Tired? So was he. Stressed? So was he, and you have not yet sweat blood, I can imagine. He knows how you feel. So don't give up on yourself. He didn't give up on you. He resisted the temptation to give up and endure the cross for you. You are God's love child, more than a conqueror. God is Jesus is able to do you for you in an instant what you cannot do for yourself in a lifetime. Brothers and sisters, we lament our mental health in times of despair. We cry when healing is needed, and we praise our God always, for we know that He is good and He has the power to restore every facet of our being. So like the psalter lamenting in Psalm 13, praise is stronger when it rises from despair. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long am I to feel anxious in my soul with grief in my heart all day long? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithfulness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has looked after me. Because he is good. Amen. Amen. If there's something on your heart today, if there's something in your mind today that you would like Jesus to remove and cast in the depths of the sea, if you want to respond to this message, Please text the word THRIVE 5 T H R I V E 5 no space to 2692812345 or go to pmchurch.org/connect and respond there. May God bless you.